Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the Kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Folks, this morning I want to talk to you about the believer's responsibility. That sounds like a heavy message. Here's another guy standing behind the pulpit telling me what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, that's, what, that's what it sounds like when you say something like that. But I want to talk to you this morning so that we get an understanding of what it is that I mean. But I actually want to build on what I shared with you a couple of weeks ago. Two weeks ago I shared with you on the primary thing. Do you remember that? About putting first things first. We, look at, we looked at the example of Mary and Martha, how Martha chose the wrong primary thing. The primary thing that she chose was to do and to be busy doing things for Jesus, whereas Mary chose the right thing, was to just be with Jesus. We spoke about the heart behind that, how Jesus, what, what, what does Jesus want from us? Our works? Well, not initially, that's not the primary thing. What he wants from us is our attention. He wants our hearts. Because once he has that, he can speak into our hearts, and by what he speaks, we change and works flow. But often we put the works before the intimacy, and then we get the, the cart before the horse. We spoke about the rich young ruler, and how he, his, he chose the wrong primary thing. He came to Jesus, and what Jesus did is he revealed to him what the primary thing in his life was. What do I mean by primary? The most important, the thing that came first, the thing that held the highest estimation. And in his life, that was his money, that was his possessions, that was his status, that, and everything that came with it. And so when Jesus confronted him on that thing, we see that he chose the wrong primary thing, and he went away sorrowful. We looked at the life of Paul, how he forsook everything that he had worked for, for this primary thing, Jesus. Once he saw Jesus and who Jesus was, everything that he prided himself on being a Pharisee of the Pharisees, the law that he knew, the way he kept the law, the way he enforced the law. He said, all of that I count rubbish and I, I forget the former things. I forget everything else that I've devoted my life to. All my attention, all my education, all my upbringing, all my culture. I put that behind me so that I can focus on this new one. One primary first thing. And then finally we looked at the life of, or the, the commandments of Jesus. Uh, and how he instructed his disciples. And even, even Siobhan alluded, alluded to it this morning. And I'll get back there again by the time we get to the end of the message today. About the primary thing. And what was Jesus' primary thing? To love. It was love. A new commandment I give you. So this, I'm giving you a new pri number one priority. I'm giving you a new most important thing. Love. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love one another. Not the way you love yourself. But love one another as I have loved you. It's amazing how Jesus takes things that were said and he, he, he makes them bigger. He makes them more impactful. And he takes what is an outward performance or an outward act and he makes it an act of the heart first and foremost. Because how many of you know you can give with a closed heart? You can give begrudgingly. I don't just mean here in the church. I mean to the car guard. I mean to the tax man. Come on. Come on. 
We looked at how our primary task as believers is to receive the love of God. That's what, Mar- that's what Mary got right. That's what Jesus said. You need to understand what Jesus said to Mary is, is, is loaded. When he said to her, Mary has chosen that good thing that will not be taken away from her. This world will take everything from you. They will try to anyways. I mean, we just spoke about the tax man, right? No. <laughs> But there's something that cannot be taken from us. And that is something that has gripped our hearts. And that is love. We looked at how love can't be expressed in a vacuum, in and of itself. But love always requires others. Why? Because love is never focused on self. Love is always focused on others. You cannot express and experience love in isolation. Love is by its very nature a relational thing. It needs to be expressed and it needs to be received and felt. Heidi Baker says, love looks like something. You can see it. It's very clear. It's very evident. And So I want to talk to you this morning about the believer's responsibility. And as you can gather, it goes and continues along the principle or the line of love. The definition of responsibility is this. It is the state or fact of being responsible, answerable or accountable for something within one's power, control, or management. So to be responsible, first we need to understand that with responsibility comes accountability. Without accountability, there is no responsibility. So when I talk about the believer's responsibility this morning, we need to start from understanding that you and I, each and every single one, are accountable. Now there's different levels of accountability. As children, we're accountable to our parents. As, as married folk, we're accountable to our spouses. As employees, we're accountable to our employers. As citizens, we're accountable to our government. But each and every single one of us, as believers, are accountable to Jesus. Romans 14.12 says, Yes, each of you, or each of us, will give a personal account to God. There will come a day, and I'll read about it now, but I also want to say this. We are accountable for something which we have been entrusted with. So I'm not accountable for what you have been entrusted with. I'm not accountable for how you manage your finances, how you manage your marriage, how you do these things. As a shepherd, I'm accountable for how I shepherd the flock. The Bible makes that very clear. But in terms of the decisions you make, in terms of what God has given to you, the measure of responsibility He has given to you, you bear that all on your own. And I bear my responsibility all on my own. That means that I cannot one day stand before God and say, well, I didn't or I did because of Him or because of Her. It also says that it's something within my management. And here's also a wonderful thing. It's a liberating thing about understanding responsibility or accountability. You are accountable for that which is in your control, which means you have management over it, which means you can determine what happens with it. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10 in the Amplified Bible says this, Therefore, whether we are at home on earth, away from Him, or away from home and with Him, we are constantly ambitious and strive earnestly to be pleasing to Him. 
So what's the goal here? What's the pursuit? To be pleasing to God. For we must all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive his pay according to what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, considering what his purpose and motive have been, and what he has achieved, been busy with, and given himself and his attention to accomplishing. Now, this is very powerful, and this is really sobering. You know, I want to tell you something. A few years ago, I worked through some, a big Derek Prince book on, you know, foundational doctrines, the Hebrew 6 foundational doctrines. The, found, the foundational doctrines of Christianity, the very nuts and bolts, the ABCs, the 1, 2, 3s, what are they? Faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands, eternal judgment, the resurrection of the dead. And as I was going through some of these, doc- these, these foundational doctrines to put together a foundations course, I realized that despite the fact that I had been a believer for 15, 20, 20 years at that time at least, nobody had actually taught me. I've never received formal teaching from a pulpit or from a Bible school about eternal judgment. And yet it is one of the foundational doctrines of Christianity. And as I went through this and began to understand what it's all about, and I looked back on my life, I thought to myself, you know, if I had truly understood this earlier on in my Christian walk, I think I would have made a lot of decisions differently. I'm not saying I'm living with all regret and I've gone completely off the rails, but I'm saying the awareness that we have that the time here, our time here on earth is a very short time when compared with the eternity that we will spend. We, we, you can see that we place an inordinate amount of focus on this temporal present world rather than the eternal one where we will be spending forever. And so when we begin to get hold of that, the way we approach this temporal life begins to change. It begins to take on a new perspective because I realize that everything I do here and now is going to echo into eternity. It's going to determine how I spend the eternity. Now, when we talk here about coming to the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, we need to understand as believers, there are two judgment moments that take place in our life. The one is a judgment is always an end thing. It happens at the end. You could say it's an eschatological event. It's an end time event. But the day that you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, a judgment was made over your life that already echoed into eternity. What was that judgment? That judgment was, today I write your name in the Lamb's book of life. I judge you as redeemed. I judge you as justified. Today, because of your faith, you have eternal life through Jesus Christ the Son. That judgment has already been made over your life if you were believer. So here we're not talking about whether or not I'm going to go to heaven or hell. What he's talking about here is receiving my reward or receiving the, the responsibility and the grace that I will be given to live out eternity. Also, many of us think of eternity as the great by and by. How many songs can you play on a harp for eternity? Seriously. And how sore would your fingers be? Many of us have this idea of eternity as this heavenly realm and it's all No, that's not what eternity is going to be like. I think eternity is going to be a, a heck of a lot like what we have right now without all the, the junk, without all the rubbish. 
very interesting if you read some of the parables that Jesus says. He says, the kingdom of God is like a man who goes away and he gives to some various talents. And it comes back and he says to those who have been faithful, if you've been faithful with little, I will give you authority over much. He's talking about the reward. Because of his faithfulness with what he was given, God gave him authority over much more. To him who has, more will be given. To him who does not have, who has been unfaithful in this life, even what he has, his physical life, will be taken away from him. When we start looking at the kingdom of God through eternal eyes, the way I live now actually becomes very important. What I focus my life on now becomes very important. And I, a lot of my frivolity, a lot of my selfishness, a lot of my desire for comfort comes into a new light. We all have those things. We all have a desire to be comfortable and happy. What sets us apart from the, apart from the world is that the world makes these things their pursuit. As believers, this is not our pursuit. It means also, if we look at this, this portion of scripture that we just read, that we cannot achieve things that will last into eternity by accident. It will require the setting of pursuits and focused attention. Uh, the new Amplified Rendition. You know, they amplified the Bible a few, good few years ago. They brought up the Amplified Bible. It clearly wasn't loud enough because they've added more watts to it. They've got a new version of the Amplified Bible. And it says things a little differently. This is how the last verse of that, of the Amplified Bible, I'm reading, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. It says, each will be held responsible for his actions, purposes, goals, motives. It's very interesting. Purposes, goals, motives. These are very much modern linguistic terms that we use for life. Motivational speakers will use them. We have them in our businesses. We have them in our churches. We're going for goals. There's this purpose we're going. It, 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 what this verse is saying is, as you set those things, as you give yourself to pursuing goals and certain purposes, ask yourself beforehand, is this a kingdom and an eternal goal and purpose? Will this, what will this echo into eternity? Not will it echo, everything will echo into eternity. What will echo into eternity? And it says the use or misuse of our time, opportunities, or, or abilities. So why on earth then, Michael, have you, have you entitled this The Believer's Responsibility? A few years ago, I read a book by Dr. Miles Monroe called The Burden of Freedom. And that doesn't seem to make sense. That title doesn't seem to make sense. But if you're taking notes, write down that book and you will do yourself an immense favor by going and reading it because it is a life transformational book. It's just one of those kinds of books. And he talks about the burden of freedom and that the burden of freedom is responsibility. We're all familiar and we like to coin the phrase that Jesus came and he said that he would set us free and he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And we love to quote that, but I don't know that we always understand exactly what it means. It means that we are free again from the power of sin and we are, we are free to choose Him. We are free to choose life. We are no longer subject or dominated by or slaves to the power of sin and death. But we've been brought out into freedom, which means we can choose life. It means that we have both liberty, but with liberty comes responsibility. I think it's Spider-Man, forgive me if I'm wrong, with great power comes great responsibility. And I'm not necessarily going to read you the scripture, but where it says, you know, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. John chapter 8, you can read it for yourself, verse 31 to 36. 
But it's basically, you, you'll know the truth. It's the truth. The truth sets you free. And here's why the truth sets you free. What is the opposite of truth? A lie. Okay? Lies bring with them deception. Because if you believe a lie to be the truth, you are deceived. And that's the terrible. You know what the problem is with deception? You're deceived. <laughs> you believe something with your whole heart to be the truth. So you put your trust in something that is like sand. That's the analogy of the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man hears the truth and does it. The foolish man doesn't act on the word. And so he builds his life, he builds his house on something that will ultimately be washed away. When Jesus said, you shall know the truth, what is it that the truth will set you free from? It will set you free from the deception. It will set you free from the lie. It will set you free from thinking that you can somehow earn salvation or that your works will ever get you into right standing with God. Many believe that, even within the church. It will set you free from thinking that by going through some religious motions you can earn God's blessing somehow. And it will bring you into the truth of who Jesus is, of who you are in Christ, so that you are free to live in the fullness of the truth, be established in it, and have that truth echo into your eternity. What a tragedy it will be for some, where we place so much emphasis on something that is not founded on the truth. We're not free to choose truth if we don't know what truth is. You see, when I'm faced with the truth, the truth tells me this is of God, this is not of God. This is good, this is bad or evil. God said it this way in the Old Covenant. Today I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. This is the truth. They are both. There's a hymn. Choose life. Do you understand? That's what it means to be free. It means I am free to choose based on the truth. I'm not being deceived here. I'm not being led in a certain way. I'm not being manipulated to choose something which is a lie. But Jesus has come to do away with the lies so that he can bring us into the truth. Truth is like light. It shines on things and reveals them for what they are. And when the truth of Jesus Christ comes into my life, it shines on my heart and it reveals to me who I am. And enables me to choose him for my forgiveness of who I am. I need to be forgiven for who I am. No matter how hard I work, I'm not going to be able to earn righteousness. Amen? That truth reveals and it brings to light and it helps me, it, it convicts and it leads me into repentance. It means that we have been empowered also to bring godly outcomes personally in our lives. When I have, when I can see the truth, I'm empowered to choose the truth. And when I choose the truth, I choose a course or a path that leads me to a predetermined outcome. Life. Blessing. Amen? I can choose that for myself personally. I choose that relationally. I can choose that financially or physically or socially. We are free to make choices with predetermined outcomes. Here's another word for outcomes. Consequences. We hate the word consequences. Somehow, consequences has a negative connotation to it. I don't know why. It simply means a predetermined outcome. 
It is the fruit of a course of events. The consequences of good are good and blessed. The consequences of bad are punishment. Amen? And so what this, what freedom gives us is a responsibility or a burden of responsibility to choose for ourselves how we will live. To make decisions for ourselves concerning our personal lives, the lives of those around us, and the lives of those we have influence in. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, again from the Amplified, says things this way, or says this, Everything is permissible, allowable and lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, good for me to do, expedient and profitable when considered with other things. Everything is lawful for me, but I will not become the slave of anything or be brought under its power. I'll give you a short testimony with the scripture. When I was still very young in Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship, I must have been a, a few months, maybe a year, if that. I had uh, I had been on a few tours of Europe, and I, when I when I talk about tours of Europe, you need to understand just in the picture of my life, there was a, a season of my life where I was living a double life. There was the, there was the Michael that was there on the Sunday, and then there was another Michael that lived his life throughout the world. Can any of you relate to that? Yeah, very scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have ministry afterwards. I'm watching. <laughs> you know, folks, every time I try, I, I, I tell stories like this. I'm reminded of where I come from. And. I, I think of where I've come to. And I think of the people who've helped me out. You know, even the story I'm going to tell you, it's about that man who I say took my ear. I just want to thank God for that man who took my ear. Otherwise, I'd still be living that double life. Anyway. I came to Pastor and I was offered to go and lead some of these tours over to Europe, find these tours. Now listen to me. We're talking about young adults and teenagers who go on these tours. What do young adults and teenagers want to do on a tour of Europe? Definitely see cathedrals by day and worship other things by night. And when I say I had a double life, I confessed Jesus. I, you know, I believed I was okay, but I was living this double life. I wanted to be in the nightclub. I wanted to be, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And I remember I came to Pastor Andreas and I said to him, Pastor Andreas, because at that time he wasn't there, far from it. I've been given this offer, you know, what do you, what do you think about it, you know, to go overseas? And he says, well, have you prayed about it, Michael? What have we got to do with me? I said, well, I'm talking to you because it'll mean I'm out of the church for a little while, out of, out of the worship team. How are we going to manage it? What's going to, you know. I said, well, have you prayed about it? He said, no. He said, well, go pray about it and tell me what God says. And this is what God said to me. Michael, this tour you want to go on, it's, allow- it's allowable, it's permissible. No one says you can't go on a tour. There's no law of mine that says this is good or this is bad. You can do whatever you want to. But not all things are helpful for you. Not all things are beneficial to you. When considered with other things. Everything is lawful for you. But is this going to benefit you? I want you to understand what an idol this tour was in my life and how long I've worked towards going on these things and being a leader in these and in that moment, God was saying to me, Michael, you can do that if you want to. But is that really going to benefit your spiritual walk with me? 
I remember when I came and shared that with Pastor Andreas. He did his Greek thing. There you go. <laughs> That's it then. So what are you going to do? It's, it was one of those watershed moments in my life where I had to choose. Am I going to follow God for the rest of my life? Or am I going to be following what I want for the rest of my life? Was that sinful? Was that bad in itself? No. Would I have gotten up to sin on there? Most definitely. <laughs> Later in the same book, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul reiterates the same thing, but he says it this way. All things are lawful for me, but not all things helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Very interesting. Do you see that? When we understand freedom, when people talk about freedom, when we talk about our liberties and we love to chant freedom, I think we love the idea of being able to do whatever it is that we want and we associate that with freedom. Freedom means I can do what I want to do without inhibitions, without anybody telling me, without any boundaries, without any restrictions. We love the idea of freedom, but we don't much like the idea of consequences. I love the idea that I'm free to eat whatever I want. I don't love the consequences. I like the idea that I can spend my money on whatever I want. I can do with my money what I want. No one tells me what to do. I don't have to tithe. I don't have to save. I don't even have to listen to my wife. I can spend my money. It's my money. Heck, I'll spend hers too. All comes to the same <laughs> But I don't like the consequences <laughs> if I do that. Some people say, oh, I can see whoever I want. I can date whoever I want. You're free to do that. But you're not free to choose the consequences. You see, whatever you step out of God's will to get, you're going to have to stay out of God's will to keep. Amen. So don't think that you can go play in the world and bring somebody in. It's not going to work that way. Don't think you can go dabble in the devil's playground and think you're going to come out clean. You'll come out stinking of mud. Amen. See, true freedom, folks, also removes from me any sense of entitlement. Entitlement, by the way, is a product of bondage. You need to understand that. Entitlement is a product of bondage. Entitlement always puts me under somebody else because I place an expectation on them to meet my needs or to give me something or to give me my rights or what I believe is due to me or what has been promised to me because of some other package. Entitled says you owe me something according to what you have. And it places responsibility on somebody else rather than taking responsibility for self. It seeks external solutions rather than being a solution to the problem. An entitled person says, I have this problem, you need to meet my needs. Somebody who understands freedom and somebody who understands responsibility says, I have this problem and it's not up to anybody else to fix this problem. I have to fix this problem. This is my life. This is my situation and I am responsible for this. Somebody who is entitled says, I want you to take responsibility for me. And folks, I want to say that, 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 that in our workplaces, Within the church, we have this syndrome and it's, it's this idea that somehow 
somebody else or an organization or a body has responsibility for that which God has given me responsibility. It doesn't make sense. If you've got your Bibles or your devices, open your devices. How do you open a device? I don't know. Go into your apps, to your Bible app. If you have one of, those, one of these things, which I highly recommend, by the way, you look a lot more spiritual when you walk around with one of these. <laughs> I also know you're not checking up your Facebook status when you've opened this. <laughs> Turn to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 2. Because when we are new, as new covenant believers, we need to understand what our responsibility is so that we can function with it and work with it and achieve the consequences or the outcomes that we desire. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Pause. What is grace? Grace is the presence of Jesus. It's, it's His ability. It's everything that He is meeting us at our point of need. What is peace? It is simply the presence of the Prince of Peace. The absence of a worry because He is there. He's in control. He says, let grace and peace be multiplied to you through what? Through the knowledge of Him. Through the knowledge of Him. Who is responsible for what you know? You are. Amen? But pastor never told me. Uh Uh-uh! It wasn't up to me. I'll teach you as much as I know and I'll teach you what I can. But ultimately, you're responsible for what you know. And listen, you can't blame me either because if I had to ask you what I preached about two weeks ago, you'd look at me like a copy guy. (laughs) You can't even remember that. Grace and peace be multiplied. So in other words, there is a measure of a divine impartation, a divine ability, and I want you to understand this. It is ability, an ability over and above your natural ability. That is what grace is. Grace enables you to do that which you, in your flesh, and in your best efforts, are unable to do. That's why we need grace. And that power is multiplied to us according to our knowledge. It says, as His divine power, from verse 3, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How many things has He given us? So there is nothing that we lack. What does that mean? That means I am without excuse. That means I cannot say, oh, I never had enough. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, nobody told Through Jesus Christ, God has already given me everything that I need for this life to lead it in a godly way. How? Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. And by that knowledge has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these we may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. How do we escape the corruption? How do we partake of the grace? Through the knowledge of Him. Through the truth. Through the truth that makes us free to choose our consequences. The believer's responsibility finds expression when we realize that we are fully empowered to make decisions 
that will have positive outcomes for other people in this life and for us into eternity. You see, we want to make positive decisions or decisions that have positive incomes for us, outcomes for us in this life. Whereas if you read the Bible, the believer's responsibility is to make positive decisions or decisions that have a positive impact for others in this life so that in eternity I may have a reward. When we did Leadership Academy years ago and we did financial principles, there's a financial principle that they articulated really beautifully. And they talk about the, the long-term nature of finances. And it, the, the coin that John Ben Dixon, the phrase that John Ben Dixon used to use was this, you'll either pay now and play later, or you'll play now and pay later. But either way, you're going to pay. Now, when you talk about finances, you're either going to pay now, not have so much fun now, save a bit so that later on you can play, once interest has kicked in and you've taken care of other things. Or you're going to play now and spend your money now. But once you get old and you have to retire, you're going to pay. Pay with your lifestyle. Pay with other things. And it's the same thing with our lives here on earth. We're either going to play now and pay later. Or we can pay now and play later. Oh, that's like fire and brimstone stuff. Guys, I'm not just saying this to... To coax, I'm not here with a spiritual crowbar trying to get you to do things. What I want you to wake up to and realize is the seriousness of your every single day. Is the value that you have in the decisions you can make every single day. Decisions for me or decisions for others. How can I be blessed or how can I be a blessing? How can I make a personal sacrifice in order to make somebody else's life better and richer? What this knowledge does is it forces us to deal with the status quo of our own hearts. What is normal? How am I currently approaching my life? And I'm saying, all right, looking at these decisions and the, the, the pursuits and the goals that I have set in my life, what are the natural predetermined outcomes that they will work themselves to? Are they self-seeking or are they kingdom-based? Are they to bless and benefit me or to bless and benefit others? I'm not saying we shouldn't save. I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of ourselves and our families. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying if that's the primary goal and pursuit of our life, if, if looking after my family is my purpose for existence, I've missed the goal, I've missed the plot completely. Yes, I need to look, look after my family, but I need to raise them and take care of them and equip and empower them all so that together we can fulfill a greater purpose to be a blessing in this world. To share the knowledge and the love of Jesus Christ. To be generous with what we have because freely I have received. Therefore, what is expected? What is my responsibility? To freely give. So often we use our freedom as a license to do what we want to do. The primary motivation in decisions we make is not others, but it's ourselves. Where will I go to work? Well, where will I earn the most money? Is that the criteria? Or is it, where is God? God, where do you want me to go and shine light and be influenced? We even approach church this way, with a consumer mentality. I want to go where the worship's good. I want to go where the kids can be taken care of. I want to go where there's this happening, where there's that. Because why? I'm a consumer. I want to get what people leave. Why, why are you leaving? Well, I just didn't feel that I was getting what I was, I was there for. Well, of course you didn't, because you weren't there to get. You missed the, I'm sorry, I didn't realize. I thought you were here to give if I'd have known. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? 
It's a, it's a spiritual principle and it may seem like a small thing, but when I get this, I understand that every decision I make for myself or for my family, where I live, what spiritual family I connect to, what relationships I invest in and what relationships I separate myself from, where I work, how I work, how I treat my employees, how I treat my bosses, it affects everything because suddenly I become a conduit not for what I can get out of these situations, but out of what I can give. That I can go there and be salt and be light and change the atmosphere in a workplace. That I can bring my gift and bless other people. That I can use my advantages and the things that I have learned to lift other people up where they need my help. How often do you share some gems and nuggets that you have received spiritually with those around you? Why? Because our focus is, I got this nugget so I can be blessed and praise God, it's working in my life. Look, hallelujah for that. That's wonderful. I am really, truly happy for you. Now go find someone else who doesn't know that. Go help them. Go shoulder to shoulder with them and, and, and work this through with them. The responsibility that rests upon disciples of Jesus places emphasis on others. Galatians 5.13 For you, brethren, were indeed called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom be an incentive to your flesh and an opportunity or excuse for selfishness. But through love, you should serve one another. So what has Christ set me free to do? Here's a sense. There is a sense in Jesus that Christ has set me free from self-pursuit so that I can pursue others, so that I can pursue love, so that I can pursue serving others. Better way of putting it. He set me free from having to take care of my own life because He promises He will so that I can focus on taking care of others. Wow, that's huge. Now, if that is true, how does that change my perspective? Many believers today have passed this responsibility onto the organization of church without realizing that they themselves are the church. How do we feed the poor? You know, I give to the church and they do it. I want to say this to you. Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship will not stand before God one day and give an account for what it did. Each and every one of us will. The members will. I will have to give an account for how I've led. I, I don't deny that. I will have to give an account for how I shepherd. It's a fearful thing. But every one of us will have to give account. How did you... Look after the widow, the orphan, the prisoner. How did you reach out? How did you, how were you a blessing? How did you contribute? Not the church. Not the organization you belong to. How did you get your hands dirty? So, let me sum it up saying it this way. What is the believer's responsibility? What is, what is it that you and I are accountable for? What has been set in our control? to manage and to, to, to steward in such a way to achieve predetermined outcomes. It is to bring the life and love of Jesus Christ within, to bear in the world around us. It's just that simple. I don't want to overcomplicate it. When I say to you, what is the believer's responsibility? I want you to understand this morning, I'm deliberately not giving you a list of things you have to do. That's what I'm saying. I'm not here with a crowbar saying to you, ah, oh, you need to do this, you need to give this, you need to... It's not about that. Because it never begins on the outside. It always begins on the inside. My responsibility as a believer 
is to get hold of God, get hold of His love, get hold of His word, because it's that knowledge that releases and, and, and provokes and stirs and motivates something within me. And then with that stirring and motivation, using it as fuel almost, I go out and share deliberately that love. How different would your day be if you woke up in the morning and say, God, what is it that you want me to do today that will echo into eternity? Could it be that simple? Actually, it really is. Jesus, how can I, what is it you want me to do today that will bear fruit forevermore? How can I sow love today? How can I bring life to a situation that is dead, hope to a situation that is hopeless? Who do I know, God, that needs blessing today? Maybe it's just a meal. Maybe it's as simple as a phone call saying, I was thinking about you. But how can I do something to minister love, life, that that person knows that you love them, that I love them, that they are cared for, and that they are important? Philippians 2 verse 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Isn't that what Jesus taught us when he washed the feet of the disciples? And he said to them at the time, he says, you don't understand what I'm doing. And they didn't. But he said this, as I have done this for you, so you do it for one another. It's interesting. We often talk about how the leadership, and, and he mentions it, how, how leadership can wash the feet of the disciples, and it's a servant leadership model, and I, I subscribe to that completely. But I also like the words where he says that we should do this for one another. And if you get close to your brothers and sisters in the Lord, you'll begin to see the dirt on their feet. You see, you cannot see dirty feet from far away. You only see dirty feet when you get up close. As you get close to your brothers and your sisters, you're going to see their dirty feet. Are you going to let those dirty feet repel you? Are you going to rebuke them for their dirty feet? Or are you going to get your hands dirty and wash? I can help you with that. Amen? Isn't that the message of the gospel? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.